We are in a series called uh, Good News for the Not So Good from 1 Corinthians chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 1. Now we're in chapter 3 today. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to close up this chapter today. How many of you by chance caught David and Tim Barton on a TBN to Monday night and Tuesday? Uh, if you watched that at all, I happened to catch part of it on Monday. And he was going through the founding fathers, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and showing where they lived. And one of them, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still, it's like, this is, to me, it's, I love American history with the Christian perspective of our founding and, and what really happened, which, as I said last week, really isn't being taught in our colleges, or excuse me, our high schools today, or our grade schools today. But they were showing one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence's home, a brick home, very, very nice brick kind of a home that still has today, and did not know this until I watched the video on, on July 4th, but it still has uh, cannonballs like stuck into the side of it. And you can still see, you know, where that was uh, uh, by, by actually the, the, uh, the um, revolutionary troops and such, and it was just uh, very interesting. So that was a cool thing, but I'm just simply saying there's a lot there. I'm still learning, still growing, and learning about that. And uh, one of the things that I was telling somebody, I think it was Jim, one of the things that light my fire is just studying this and seeing this and love seeing those that will bring it to pass before our eyes. Well, anyway, uh, we're talking about today in the seventh message of this series, uh, wisdom. We've already talked about wisdom, the, un, the unwisdom of God. Talked about that about a month, month and a half ago. We're going to close this chapter up. So verses uh, 18 through 23 it says, Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of, the, thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 through 23. Let me get started by sharing with you, uh, just in, by, by way of illustration, there is an iconic scene in the film, the movie uh, Titanic, so iconic that I've heard that certain cruise ships uh, now have to keep a crew member uh, stationed at the, at, the, at the bow of the boat to make sure passengers don't fall overboard when they try to replicate this cinematic moment. And you can probably guess what moment I'm talking about by the PowerPoint uh, with, with the gentleman doing this. And by the way, just for, just for clarification, I have not seen the movie, nor do I plan on seeing the movie. I've read about it and know enough about it that I don't want to see it. I am not a Leonardo DiCaprio fan at all, uh, but it's a scene where Jack Dawson, Leonardo DiCaprio, stands on the front of the rail ship and declares to the winds and the waves, I am the king of the world. Uh, of course, he's not actually the king of the world. He's a drifter who doesn't have two nickels to rub together, who couldn't even afford the price of the passage, but ultimately he was able to scheme his way into a first-class dinner party. And it was all for naught because he doesn't even survive the voyage. Oops, spoiler alert. <laughs> Jack Dawson wasn't really king of the world, but for a moment in that movie he felt that way. Maybe we all can relate. We have all had maybe these kind of moments where they might not be king of the world moments, but we could say they qualify as I'm a little too impressed with myself moments. A reminder from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, where Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. You see, Paul has been talking about this all 
to human tendency in the earlier chapters of, of, of 1 Corinthians, which we've been studying for the past several months. Now, there were those in the church in Corinth who were a little too impressed with themselves, uh, a little too unimpressed with others, and they saw themselves as perhaps being more elite than they really were because they belonged to this group and not that group, and their group was right and the other group was wrong. And so their attitude, as you recall, caused some quarrels and division among the fellowship. And that's what Paul was addressing really in the first three chapters. What Paul says in the earlier verses of chapter 3 as we, that we covered already, I cannot speak to you as spiritually mature believers. I have to speak to you as infants. He says you're still on milk. You're not ready for the meat of the word. Well, the implication really of Paul's words was that they certainly thought they were ready for the meat of the word, the advanced teaching, because they thought they were much further along than they actually were. They thought that they were, if you will, king of the world, or at least captain of the ship, when they really belonged in third class. All right. And so in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul begins telling the Corinthians, if you want to move on to maturity, these are the steps you should take. You need to put an end to the self-sabotage of being divisive and excluding others. And instead, Paul's saying you need to focus your life on Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation of your life. Talked about that two weeks ago. And if you need to get serious about the idea of you and me and the rest of us, how we together comprise God's temple. We are, Paul says, God's temple, God's building. And he expects us to treat that relationship with care. Well, today as we conclude chapter 3, Paul concludes the thought he first began to develop in chapter 1 specifically about the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And I, I'll just tell you this, they are in direct opposite or opposition of each other. You know, about boasting in human leaders, about being divisive. And so Paul wraps this thought up as he's challenging us to get our thoughts you know, uh, straight to get over ourselves, to get our heads on straight so we can focus our attention on that which matters so we can experience everything God has for us, the purpose, the plan of God, you know, that we can, that we can fulfill the calling of God for our lives. Now, these last few verses in 1 Corinthians 3 really tell us how to get a head start on a life of wisdom. Now, how do, how do we position ourselves to, to do that? I mean, James tells us if we lack wisdom, we're to ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach. And so that is available. It's right to want to receive wisdom from God. It's the beginning of wisdom is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, we have those scriptures as well. So let's talk about how to position ourselves to grow abundantly in the wisdom of God. And the first thing we should do is this. Number one, start telling your the truth about everything. There's a story about a guy who had a car for sale, and there's a picture of it on the PowerPoint. It was a 2003 Pontiac Grand Am. That's what it looks like. He placed an ad in the local paper with a fair price and an accurate description, and he didn't get one single response regarding his ad. Well, he mentioned his disappointment to a friend who was in the used car business, and the friend told him, well, what does your ad exactly say? Well, the man said, it says Pontiac for sale, clean, good condition, 378,000 miles, and he lists the price. Well, the friend says, that's your problem. No one wants to buy a car with that many miles on it. I would suggest moving the odometer back and trying later. By the way, that is illegal. Well, a couple of weeks later, his friend called him and said, did you take my advice? The man says, well, yes, I did. The friend says, have you sold your car yet? The man says, well, I've decided not to sell it. Well, why would you change your mind? The man says, well, why would I sell a 20-year-old car with only 40,000 miles on it? <laughs> I think of that story when I read this verse where Paul says, do not deceive yourselves. In other words, do not lie to yourselves. The phrase in the Greek can be translated, stop 
deceiving yourselves. The New Living Translation, that's what it says. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. The Living Bible says, stop fooling yourself. Friends, we do this all the time. For example, my mind still thinks I'm 25, but my mind thinks my body is an idiot. Or I should say, my body thinks my mind is an idiot. I got it backwards, sorry. Can't even tell the joke right. This past Monday evening, I uh, went outside uh, on the, four, the 3rd of July, and I waited about 7 o'clock, quarter to 7, the sun's starting to go down a little bit, so I don't have to wear a hat, which I always do out in the sun because of, I think, four skin cancer surgeries now. And I went outside in the heat, and it was hot, for about an hour, hour and a half, and I trimmed all five of our citrus trees, I trimmed the Texas sage, the lantana, the Cape, sunny, the Cape honeysuckle bush, and the Arabian jasmine, basically everything in the backyard. And then I took my power blower and blew all the trimmed debris onto the lawn, shut my irrigation off, and I was going to wait then until the next morning. And so the next morning, July 4th, Tuesday morning, I got up a little before 5 o'clock, had my cup of coffee, went outside, about 5.15-ish, raked all the debris into piles, piled them all together, bagged it all up. I had five to six large garbage bags full of debris, even filled our dumpster with debris. Uh, when I got the backyard all done, all, everything raked up, put in it, whatever, I trimmed all 12 of our pig meat date palms in the front and back. Then I mowed the lawn. After that, I repaired an irrigation leak. I don't know why they always leak in the summertime when it's 115 outside, but that seems to be the optimal time when I need to repair things. And all total, I did about four hours of uh, worth of work on the fourth morning until uh, everything was done. It all looks good, and I'm done hopefully until Labor Day weekend. Well, I got all that done Monday night, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I went in the office, and I wasn't doing so good. My back hurt, my body hurt. I mean, I was stiff and sore. You know how it is when you do something. Once again, my mind still thinks I'm 25, but my, mom, but my body thinks my mind's an idiot. It's like, Brian, stop deceiving yourself. Stop fooling yourself. You aren't as young as you used to be. You're out of shape, but then I tell myself, well, rounds of shape. I mean, going back to it, really my favorite childhood memory is, is my back not hurting. Saw that on a t-shirt this week. I mean, one minute you're young and fun, the next you're turning down the stereo in your car so you can see better. You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those things where as you get old, your mind says you can do one thing, but your body says, wait a minute. Slow down, buddy, you know. And, and that's an interesting thought that, that, that we are told by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we need to be told to guard against telling ourselves lies. Stop fooling yourself. Stop deceiving yourself. Now, most of us are aware of the lies we're told by politicians. Matter of fact, it's been said, how can you tell if a politician is lying? Is his mouth moving? I mean, you, you, know the, you know the jokes. We hear lies from corporations today. We have lies being told to us by the corrupted media who tell you what they want you to hear. All right? We're also aware of the fibs we tell from time to time in order to save face. Uh, I don't endorse it, but we've all done it, in, you know, and sometimes we still do it. But, but let's not forget about the untruths we tell ourselves on a regular basis. Now, what untruths, lies am I talking about? Well, they typically go, typically go from one extreme to the other. For example, they, they go from I'm as good as I get to I'm completely worthless. Or I can't change versus I don't need to change. Lies, God is lucky to have me on his team, or God wants nothing to do with me. I heard a pastor share years ago at one of our district councils in Iowa, God can use you, but he doesn't need you. In other words, God does, he wants to use you, but it needs to be on his terms, not yours, kind of thing. Here, here's my point. I think you'll discover that the biggest lies you will ever tell are the lies you tell yourself. Let that sink in. 
This is why it's so important for you and me that we build our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, that we spend time in his word, that we allow him to speak to us from his word and allow his word to transform and change us and and really to know who we are and to know who he is. Now, in doing so, we will not be inclined to declare, I'm the king of the world, neither will will we be inclined to say, God could never love me. Instead, we'll understand, you know, yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, but I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, I'm a child of the King because of what He has done for me. Yes, I'm forgiven because His blood has cleansed me from my sin. Yes, I'm on my way to heaven because His grace is truly sufficient and His grace still amazes me. In other words, we need to stop telling ourselves the lies that stand in our way and start reminding ourselves of what the truth of God's word says and because it is the truth that will set us free. Now, one of the things I learned, and I've learned lots of things from this study, and I've taught it, I don't know how many times, but numerous times, I would say over 10 times over the years, and that would be the study called Experiencing God by Claude King and Henry Blackaby. And one of the things they taught in that study is, that, is, this con, is this truth. Truth is a person, not a concept. Truth is a person, not a concept. Jesus said he was the truth, John 14, 6. This means, they, they wrote, this means that you can never know the truth of your circumstances until you have first heard from truth himself, that being Jesus Christ. Now, the disciples, you recall, thought they were perishing in the boat, in the storm. All right? They were fishermen. They knew the sea. They knew what the conditions were. They had allowed, though, their circumstances to convince them that the truth was their imminent death. But they were wrong because truth was asleep in back of the boat. Some of the disciples were fishermen. They trusted in their own expertise and wisdom rather than recognizing that only Jesus knew the truth of their situation. He was the truth of their situation. See, at times, our human knowledge in certain areas of life can blind us to our desperate need to hear a word from truth from Jesus. See, when Jesus spoke, the disciples saw the real truth of the situation. There was absolute calm, peace, be still. The disciples had seen Jesus perform other miracles, but they had not yet witnessed his power over nature in such a dramatic way, in such a dimension. Often, like the disciples, we are simply like that, where, where, where God may have done something in your life in the past, God may have demonstrated his power, his glory in a mighty way to you in times gone by, and you may have experienced many spiritual victories in the years or days gone by, and yet when some, we're faced with something new and frightening, we say, Lord, save me, I'm perishing. And God says, well, what about truth? in the boat once again. You know what I'm saying? See, God will remind us of his provision saying, you know something, I can handle this situation too. And because of it, you're going to know me more as a result of allowing you to go through that. This past week, as I was praying for America in my prayer time, I felt Holy Spirit ask me a very, a very probing question that I didn't like. And the question was, do you trust, Brian, do you trust God for America's future. And I had to think about that, and it's like, and, and I had to resign to say, yes, I do. Yes, I do. In spite of what's going on today, in spite of what we see going on today and everything else, I had to say, God, I trust you. Even though I don't like to see what I'm seeing right now in this country, and I'm sure many of you are there as well. Church, what I'm saying is simply this. Let's build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, on his death on the cross, on his burial, his resurrection, and on the authority of God's word. And so start, start telling yourself the truth about everything and remembering that Jesus Christ himself is truth. Number two, make it your aim to be teachable. 
In other words, become a lifelong learner. Become a lifelong student. Paul is saying, in effect, you're limiting yourself by your own ego from the opportunity to grow spiritually. Now, it's not just self-deception that stands in our way. It's our conceit as well. Always remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, it's not just that we deceive ourselves at times, but we try to take things upon ourselves, which God says, are you going to trust me? All right. Now, both self-deception and conceit come together whenever we say to ourselves, well, I know all I need to know about this topic. Or even worse, I know all there is to know about this topic. Just a, a, a little another illustration. In recent months, Jill and I have been watching game shows on TV because the TV shows nowadays have an agenda from Hollywood that I don't want to bow down to. I, there's not much I can watch. All right. Anyway, there's a newer show on called Split Second. Have you heard of it? Have you watched it? It's actually a remake of a 1970s show that I didn't know until I was preparing for this. And, and the host is John Michael Higgins, who is also the host of America Says, another game show that we like to watch. Well, the, the split-second show is, is a good show, but they have these trivia questions they ask. And uh, some questions are easy, and it's like, why can Joe and I both know all the answers and the contestants don't know them? But then they ask some other questions that I have not a clue what they're talking about when it comes to current culture things, certain singers, songwriters, uh, movies, whatever. I say, I have no clue, you know. And, and I said to Jill last week, I said, you know, we are all ignorant just in different areas. True. I admit that I am ignorant in a lot of areas. I win a lot of game shows sitting in my recliner, but I'm not under the pressure of trying to answer those questions with lights and an audience and be it whoever's asking the questions, you know. I'm simply saying I don't know all there is to know, and I'm okay saying I don't know everything. I am ignorant in a lot of areas. The problem is further aggravated, though, by the fact that so many times we tell ourselves that we, that we know more than we actually know. Some of us even think, even though we haven't been to medical school, that we can diagnose ourselves with the help of Google. <laughs> Amen. Come on now. I've been on the websites. I've read things. I must have this because I feel that way. And you go to the MD websites. You go to the, uh, what's, this, what's the place here? Um, Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic. So I've been on that website and everything else from Mayo. Uh, Every website, every doctor you've seen, they're practicing, not perfecting medicine. They're practicing. They haven't got it figured out as well. And, and what they're doing when you go see a doctor for something, and they'll, they'll prescribe this, this medicine or that, that pill or whatever, and, and they're, they're just seeing what it does. Anyway, I'll, I'll go on. Google, yeah. But we do this in politics, we do this in relationships, we do it in business. We think we can know something without ever having been taught something. Listen to what Paul said, verse 18. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. I remember hearing a preacher years ago saying this, and it was uh, the gentleman that wrote Evangel Explosion, uh, Kennedy, uh, Florida, um, James Kennedy. He says, I'm Christ's fool. Whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? Are you? Anyway, so Paul says we should become fools so you may become wise. Now, what does Paul mean saying we should become fools? Well, it means that we should literally humble ourselves enough to learn, not to be a know-it-all. All right. In, in his commentary on Corinthians, uh, William Barclay quotes Marcus Fabius Quintilianus, a first century Roman philosopher. And you can see the PowerPoint here. He said about some of his students, they would have doubtless become excellent scholars if they had not been so fully persuaded of their own scholarship. In other words, they, were, they, were, they thought they were smarter than what they were. 
He also quotes an ancient proverb, He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool, avoid him. He who knows not and knows that he knows not is a wise man, teach him. Be in the second category, that you know not and you know not that you, and you know that you know not so you can be taught. In other words, be teachable, be pliable. If you're green, you're still growing. If you're ripe, you've started to rot. So Paul is saying, if everything you know about living this life is based on the, world, the wisdom of the world around us, then you are in deep doo-doo. Well, no, you're in deep trouble, he's saying. All right? You're in deep trouble. If, if all the wisdom you have is the wisdom of this world, you're in trouble. All right? And that applies to us today. See, we need to abandon the world's idea of wisdom and go back to square one and go back to what God's Word says and sign up again to become a lifelong student, ever learning, ever growing, ever coming to a place where God thank you for that revelation, you know. And we relearn, if you will, the fundamentals that are presented clearly in God's Word. Sometimes I want to, as a pastor... I want to say, this is God's Word. Try opening it up and reading it. I mean, this is God's Word. This is the, God, this is the Bible. This is wisdom. Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. I was thinking this past week, this is why God wants you and me to be transformed by how? By the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter 12, that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Why? Because the world's wisdom is foolishness to God. Romans 12, 2, do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to constantly renew our minds, constantly learning, constantly growing. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. All right. My question is, are you hungry for more of him? Are you thirsty for more of him? You see, you will die spiritually if you don't have spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. We see this hunger in the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, 10 and 11, where Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, who perhaps knew Christ best, besides John the Beloved, Paul knew him, and yet he's saying, I want to know him. I'm not there yet. I want to know more of Christ. I want, to, I want to experience, yeah, the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know him in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul was hungry for more of the Lord. We see this hunger in Moses. In Exodus 33, Moses says, if God, if you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways so, what? so I may know you. Moses, you're a friend of God. But Moses saying, God, I want to know you. Later on, after they talked about the presence of God, Moses says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. God, I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I want more of you. That's hunger. We see the hunger in the psalmist. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? And so the psalmist is, is, is thirsting for more of God, wanting to be in his presence, wanting to be about his business. We also see this in the 63rd Psalm. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift my, up my hands. My soul be satisfied as 
with the richest of foods, with singing of lips on my mouth, I will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I will think of you to the watches of night. Once again, the psalmist had a hunger, had a thirst for more of God. Do you have that today? Are you hungry for more of him? Are you teachable? Are you learning? Are you a lifelong student? We used to sing an old chorus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like him. Romans 8, 29. I was reminded of that chorus this past July 4th. This land is your land. This land is... Same, same tune. Same tune. How many knew that? How many are glad you came this morning just for that little tidbit of information? <laughs> See, you just learned something, all right? 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, and we, as Paul says, are what? Are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, God wants to move us from glory to glory. He wants to move us from faith to faith. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. God is wanting to change us. Change us to be more like Jesus. We're going to be like him, but that means that one of us has to change. And I can guarantee, as John Bevere said, it's not going to be Jesus, it's going to be us. And so our goal, Romans 8, 29, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Another great quote from experiencing God is this. You cannot stay the way you are and go on with God. I always say you're front sliding or you're back sliding. There's no neutral territory here. Now, I know many of you don't attend Sunday school when we have it from September through May. And that's your choice. But I, for one, have found that no matter who is teaching, I have always learned something. And almost every Sunday, I can write it down, I will, I will learn something or I will hear something that ties in exactly with what I'm preaching. And so for those of you that aren't attending Sunday school, when we start in September, join us. Join us. How many have heard of B.B. King, guitar player? Most of you. If you haven't, you're missing out on some great music. He was an incredible guitar player. He died eight years ago in 2015, a few months short of his 90th birthday. He gave his final performance at the age of 89, just a few months before he passed away. Not only was his guitar playing legendary, so was his work ethic. Matter of fact, when he was just a young man, he you know, barely passed 20, he left his hometown in Mississippi and moved to Memphis, Tennessee to pursue his dream. The problem was that he wasn't yet good enough to make a living playing music. He couldn't find work, but that didn't stop him. He went back to Mississippi. He spent two years working at a radio station and practicing scales and honing his craft. When he returned to Memphis in 1949, he was able to get a recording contract, but his records didn't sell. He didn't let it stop him, though. He kept playing, he kept working, he kept getting better. By the end of the 1950s, he had become a major player in the rhythm and blues crowd, and his music has since entertained millions in the decades since. See, B.B. King never stopped playing, never stopped recording, and never stopped performing. And most significantly, he never stopped practicing, and he never stopped getting better. A few years before he passed away in an interview with a Harvard psychology professor, he said, and I quote B.B. King, Any day I don't hear or learn something new is a day lost. 
I don't think of my age as a shutoff valve. Seniors, listen up. I don't think of my age as a shutoff valve. I do everything I can every day to make sure I have a good performance that night. Now, I don't know where B.B. King stood spiritually later in life. Rumor has it that he accepted Christ, but we can learn something here from his attitude about his life's work. Any day I don't hear something new or learn something new is a day wasted. His attitude reminds me of a quote quote I read about Sam Walton, founder of Sam's Club Walmart. The quote is from David Glass, the former CEO of Walmart. He said this about Sam Walton. There's never been a day in his, Sam Walton's life, since I've known him, that he didn't improve in some way. Wow. Proverbs 23, 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. My question for us today is this. Are you learning? Are you growing? Really, are you teachable? Do you have a teachable heart and a teachable attitude? Without that, you're not going far. Without that, I would suggest that you are stuck in a spiritual rut, and a rut is nothing more than a shallow grave. Number three, and I wind this up I'm going to be a little bit on this, so don't come yet, Pastor Jim. Once and for all, put away the pedestal. Put away the pedestal. Now, what pedestal am I talking about? The the pedestal we try to stand on or sit on and the pedestal upon which we place others. And we do that all the time. Paul said, so then, verse 21, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. The King James Bible says it this way. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Remember, this conversation began in chapter 1 when some were saying, well, I follow Paul. And I follow Apollos, but you guys can do that, but I follow Cephas. Others say, yeah, but I follow Christ. And so we have that as the background. But friends, this is the contradictory nature of the human condition. Even while thinking we know all there is to know at times, we also want to elevate others to a status that they don't deserve. In other words, we want to elevate them as leaders so we can identify as belonging to their group, you know, the always right group. This way we can justify the exclusion of others, the always wrong group. This even though happens in the church with certain leaders. It happens with politicians and authors, and self-help teachers, and even celebrities. When we find our identity in the personality of others, we take the first step toward losing ourselves. And we take a step toward losing our connection with others. Let me say this loud and clear, and I will not stutter, hopefully. As much as I appreciated President Trump And what President Trump did for America and Israel, President Trump is not my savior, nor is he America's savior. He is just a flawed man like me or like you. People. The message of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're all on equal ground. We're all equal level. Yes, God calls people to lead the church, but here's what I've recognized. The higher up you go in God's kingdom, the lower down you go. In other words, God's not into titles, but he is into towels. And to wash somebody's feet, you're going to humble yourself and get down on your knees, and you're going to do that. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, in effect, if you're going to find your identity in anyone, please make sure you find your identity in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. He, he is sufficient. To make it clear, This does not mean that we don't respect others 
or have a drawing to say, hey, thank you for your service at Baseline Christian Fellowship. It doesn't mean we don't recognize others. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to their teaching or seek to learn from them or even take correction from them. But it does mean that you put away the pedestal, you listen and you learn without making anyone a celebrity. And at the risk of being misunderstood, I feel there are too many Christian celebrities out there today. Paul's final words in this chapter put it all in perspective. Verse 21, he says something that takes us by surprise. He says, all things are yours. Some translations say, all things belong to you. So all things are yours, verse 21. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. What is Paul saying here? We heard the beginning of this idea a few weeks ago. We talked about placing no limit on the lessons we learn from others and to keep your heart open for that. Well, here Paul says it again in a more direct manner. He says, all things are yours. And in a certain sense, they're all here to serve you and to help you and to grow you. The teaching of Paul, the teaching of Apollos, the teaching of Cephas, he says are yours. And you can learn different things from different people. We saw this in verses 5 through 9. And Paul is saying in these verses that these teachers serve the church. And in doing so, they serve you in your journey toward becoming a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul even takes this a step further. This doesn't merely apply to the teachings of others. It really applies to everything. The world, life, death, the present, the future. These all belong to you. They all exist to serve you, as it were, in your journey toward discovering a meaningful, Christ-centered life. See, what Paul is saying is similar to what he said in, in to the church in Romans. He said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good, not that all things are good, but for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. God takes the events of your life and my life and makes them work for good, for his good, for his glory, so God can accomplish in our lives uh, what he wants to, and so ultimately, hopefully, we can become more Christ-like. All things belong to you. Not because we're the king of the world, because we all belong in the steerage. But I can say that all things belong to you because you belong to Christ. And because Christ belongs to God, and God is our all in all. Going back to where we started, and Pastor Jim, if you want to come. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly, with God. It's foolishness in God's sight. So much of the emphasis here must be placed on God. Then if that's true and it is, then mankind, you and me, must take our proper place. To believe oneself to be wise is really dangerous self-deception. The source of such self-deceit is pride. And the antidote to pride is and always will be humility. God says if you'll humble yourself, if you'll humble yourself, you'll find grace. But God resists the proud. All right, so the antidote to pride is humility, which fosters a dependence on a higher source. Even looking at this past week with the events of July 4th, and these rights come not from government, our interpretation, but from God, from God. You see, a man cannot be wise both in the world as well as in the church. The world, honestly, the world thinks Christian thinking and wisdom is foolish. And one of the things that you will constantly battle is this idea 
Do I go after the world or do I go after God? And you have to settle it once and for all in your heart, in your spirit. I don't care what the world thinks of me. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm pursuing God. Yes, there is much that the world considers acceptable, which is not acceptable to, be, to me as a Christ follower or the church. See, at the heart of wisdom in God's eyes, at the heart of wisdom is the cross. The cross. And man will either despise it or they'll cling to it. If you cling to it, you will have much to gain. If you despise it, you will lose everything. I'm just paraphrasing Jesus. All right. As God looks at men's wisdom from the viewpoint of its inability to discover and obtain salvation, God considers the wisdom of man utter nonsense. Nonsense. It has no value. This world has a tendency to consider symptoms and build elaborate systems on them. Well, God looks at the root cause. And so I ask you this morning, do you want to make a huge head start in life by being powered by the wisdom of God? Here's how you get there. You build, your, you build your life on the foundation, the only foundation that has been laid, talked about two weeks ago, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And you build on it every day of your life. How do you do that? You, you spend time with Christ. You spend time in His Word. You allow His Word to change how you view things. You spend time, you uncover His wisdom You'll discover his purpose. You'll discover his presence. You'll discover what God has for you. And once you've tasted that, once you've experienced that, this world will never satisfy you again. Let me challenge you this week. When you leave this place sometime this week, read the second psalm, Psalm chapter 2. I was thinking about this this week. I'm going to read just the first four verses. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. In other words, we don't want God. We don't want the restrictions of God and what God says. But here's verse 4, Psalm 2-4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The one who, who's enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. See, God laughs at the wisdom and the plans of mankind. God laughs at that. You see, people can come against God all they want, but God responds by mocking the ridiculous efforts of the world to remove him from the scene. Church, the time is coming. When God will terminate human rebellion and fully establish his kingdom on earth. Don't believe me? Read Revelation. Get a heavenly perspective on that. I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. I shared it on a friend's page a couple weeks ago. Leonard Ravenhill said this, This silly world outside thinks it's finished with Jesus Christ, but they haven't even started with him yet. Godly wisdom. Back to the second psalm. It sums it up in the last verse by saying this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You're going to have to sell it once for all. If God be God, then I'm going to serve him. My closing questions for you today are these. Whose wisdom are you trusting? Whose wisdom are you trusting? The world's wisdom? Foolishness to God or God's wisdom, which is foolishness to the world. Whose wisdom are you trusting? And really, have you humbled yourself, and have you placed yourself in Christ, and in Christ alone? See, God, as I said, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Are you, as they say in the deep south, you need to humble, humble yourself. They leave the H off. I, I always say humble, but the southern preachers even... Mike Huckabee in a show. You have to humble yourself. Humble. Anyway, have you humbled yourself and placed your trust in Christ? And then really what it gets down to it is, are you still hungering and thirsting after him and after his righteousness? 
Because I can guarantee to you, if you are filling yourself up with the wisdom of this world, if you're filling yourself up with that, you won't have room for the wisdom of God. All right? So are you still hungering for him? Are you thirsting for him? Do I, ask yourself, do I really possess a strong desire for God and for the wisdom of God and the presence of God in my life? Let's all stand. I'll close in prayer. So my challenge to you, read the second psalm this week. Be a person who pursues the wisdom of God over the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness to God. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap this up today, first of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is wisdom personified. And Lord, give us today in this place a heart that cries after you and goes after you and hungers after you and, and thirsts after you. For you and your righteousness, for Jesus, you said, they will be, they shall be filled. And so fill us, Lord, with more of you. In order for that to happen, God, we need to have less of us. And so may we continue to crucify this old man, this old life, and what we want to embrace you and your cross. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the mind that says, God, above all else, I want to pursue you and your wisdom. Wisdom, which is the beginning of knowledge. Thank you for that. The fear of God. I, I pray, Father God, that you would work in our hearts today. For those who have come today, God, that, that, that have become uh, just stale in the relationship with you today, may you ignite a new fire within that would burn brightly, God. God, may it burn to our inner, inner, innermost being. And God, may we say with Paul or Moses or the psalmist, God, that, that we would have that hunger as that deer pants for the water. So, God, may we, may we pant after you and go after you, hungering and thirsting for you and your righteousness. Or as Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, but also uh, knowing him in, the fel in fellowship with him in his sufferings. God, as Moses said, Lord, I want to know you. Show me your glory. God, may that be our heart's cry. And may we leave this place today, God, just with this idea of I'm pursuing the wisdom of God, which might seem foolish to everybody else, but so be it. I know truth. And that truth is a person. That person is Jesus Christ, who belongs to God and all things belong to him. Lord, we submit and surrender ourselves to you today in this place of worship. Father, I pray for those who have come today that do not have a personal love relationship with you. May today be their day of salvation. May today be that day where they say, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If that describes where you're at right now and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to look up, raise your hand high, say, Pastor Brian, I need Christ in my life. I need forgiveness of sin. Right now, I want to make that commitment to Christ. If that's where you're at right now, put your hand up high. I want to see you. Don't be ashamed of him. The Bible says if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us before his Father in heaven. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Hallelujah. His family. Just holding steady for a moment. Father, as we dismiss today, I pray, God, that your word would be planted deeply in our hearts and our spirits and that it would produce a harvest of righteousness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you today. I'm going to leave the altars open. If you would like prayer, I'll be available to pray for you, pray with you. But God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen. Go after God. Go after His wisdom, even though it might be foolish to those around you. Pursue Him. Amen. God bless you.